American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Right now. Welcome in today. We got an awesome show for you. We got one of the hottest young country singers out today. He's got two albums out in 2012. It was Crash Course and his new album, Nothing But Time, just came out in 2020. And it is taken the country music scene by storm. It's uh, hit the Texas country music charts. It started out at about 193 and it is now 67 and climbing. And you can check him out everywhere you stream music, but Spotify. Go follow him on Spotify. His name's Nate Burnham. So go check him out and let's welcome him here today. Hey, Nate, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on, man? That intro of the that Last of the Mohicans thing on the guitar. Was that dope? I was listening to that the other day when I was, yeah, it's so good. And I, I want to learn that. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was listening to the truck the other day when I, to another podcast, one of your one of your episodes, and I was like, "That is so smooth. That sounds so good." Oh my! Gosh. I have to learn that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The the only problem, and nice job spotting that, by the way. You're you're like this. I think you're the second person that's that's caught that. So nice job. By oh the yeah. Way. And then that was a great movie. Oh my gosh, the best. HBO is making um new Last of the Mohican series. Have you heard about that? Ooh, I did not. I did not know that. Yeah, so that'll be good. Uh, but anyway, um, the only problem with having that <laughs> as the intro is I just want to keep listening to it. I don't want to. Right. I don't want to stop. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I have a fiddle player that plays with me, so you know my head guts oh. just when the, the wheels start turning. I'm like, oh, if I can learn that little riff on the guitar and then have her no 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 like that would sound so good. That would be but, cool. You ought to. Yeah, yeah, you ought to do that in between songs uh, in a show. Oh, that would be great. We have one that I don't. I don't know if you ever watched the Ken Burns uh, Civil War documentary. Mm -hmm. It's it's an old '80s you know PBS thing, but there's a there's a fiddle part that that goes along with a lot of the shots that is like da 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 da. Yeah, I mean, when people hear it, they're like, "Oh, I know that." And and so if I'm tuning up or I, I gotta get something, I'll have my fiddle player. I'm like, "Hey, just play this," you know. <laughs> And, right. and and I'll ask uh, if anybody has any uh, any Civil War buffs or any history buffs if they've ever watched it. And people will raise their hand. I'm like, okay, all right, check this out. And uh, she'll start to play it on the fiddle. And it's just so it's so beautiful just as a tune. And yes. you know, people's reaction are like, yeah, they light up just like probably I did when I heard the last of the Mohican song. And then I'll like when she gets about a minute into it, I'll be like. In the spring of 45, Grant was on the, you know, you know, Lee was on the run from Fredericksburg through Bull Run all the way up to Optimatics Courthouse, you know, and I'll start doing the narrating from Ken Burns. And, but we're going to have to add the last of the Mohicans to the, uh, to the breaks that we do. Oh, and I expect uh, a recording of that when it happens. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So Nate, man, this is a, this is exciting. You're going to do some music here in a minute, but uh, let's learn about you. So you are, you're from Texas, right? Correct. Grew up in Houston. Uh, I was actually, so my mom and dad are both from, from Utah. I had five different elementary schools in three different States. Like we moved a lot and, but I ended up in Texas in third grade, graduated high school, you know, in, in Houston. So for, if anybody, uh, usually if they ask, I sit, I spare them the sob story of moving a lot. And I just say I'm from Houston. <laughs> yeah. That's probably saves you, saves you some heartache of having to move yeah. away. That's yeah. tough. Is that how you became into your guitar? Like moving so much, that's how you would console yourself? No. Uh, I mean, I played, I played baseball. And so that was kind of my thing is I didn't start playing guitar until I got to college. And so, oh. um, 
you know, but, uh, I can make friends, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was athletic. It didn't, it didn't bother me so much, uh, moving around. I know it, it was kind of tougher on some of my brothers. Um, and it, but it's never easy leaving people and moving, you know, in high school and middle school and stuff, but it is what it is, but I didn't mind it so much. I don't, I don't wish that on my kids. I'm trying to, although I'm not, I don't have a good track record so far, but I'm trying to, trying to keep them, you know, planted in places for a while. Right. Is it, were you, was it a military family? Is that why you moved so much? Everybody asked that, like, it, it was actually the uh, commercial airline industry in the nineties, you know, oh, which is probably just yeah. as transient, <laughs> it right. was, you know, so he worked for, for Boeing and then Eastern airlines and the way they went out of business and then continental airlines and then you know, subcontractor, Honeywell's and L3s. I mean, he's, he's been all over. So, but, uh, wow. but yeah. And so, but yet sports, I, I imagine helps a lot because sports, I think you have to be friends with your team in order to do it. What was your sport growing up? Baseball. Baseball. Nice. What position did you Baseball. play? Baseball. Center field, lead off, short, fast guy. <laughs> nice. So you were pretty good though, right? Cause I believe <laughs> you played some college ball. Yeah. I played high school, played college. I played uh Juco at Mesa community college in Arizona. That's a really good junior college program. I mean, they're, we went to two World Series. I was there, and and then um, I finished uh, my career at the University of Utah. I spent the last two years, 07, and, uh, at the the University of Utah playing for Bill Kennenberg, who just who just retired this last week. So, oh, he did. Wow, I didn't yeah, know that. After 18 years of coaching the U, I mean, he's been in baseball for like almost 40 years. But but yeah, I, I played baseball, so it was easier to make friends. You know, if you're good at a sport, you show up at recess, and and you know you can get picked on on football and soccer teams. Then easier to make friends but you know it was so it wasn't so bad if you're if you're good at something people tend to like you yes <laughs> kinda, you know that's was, true that's that's absolutely true how was uh how was he as the coach by the way the guy that just retired yeah no coach k was he was awesome i mean there's uh he's got a great reputation too if you ask around i mean there's there's obviously going to be good coaches and bad coaches and and everything in between but you know he he was great coach super knowledgeable really honest and you know he he left the program better than how he found it baseball utah is not known for as a baseball school just you know to be honest i mean it's definitely a, a football and a basketball school first you know so um so when he found it i mean we were in the mountain west they are since in the pac-12 now but but i mean they've won a pac-12 championship i mean they've you know they've done a lot of really good things in his time and so um he had you know, hell of a career and just a, a, a really, he's well loved as a coach. You know, a lot of the guys, we were all talking on a thread and, you know, we all, uh, a lot of us sent him in videos and stuff. He's just one of those guys that you're grateful, grateful to play for. Mm. So you never p played guitar until college. No, I mean, I had asked my parents for a guitar in high school, but you know, understandably, I, you know, baseball, especially in Texas, it's competitive. You know, there's, there's the regular league and then there's all stars and there's select leagues. And I mean, I was so engulfed in baseball. My parents were running me around everywhere that it's like asking for one more thing to do, which, you know, it wasn't like the first thing on their, on their list. They had, you know, I'm the oldest of four boys and we're all doing something. So, but yeah, when I got to school, my, uh, you know, my first year of college, really how I got into it is, is, you know, I had friends in high school that played, but, uh, we had a friend of ours that he died in, our, our, our first semester, our first Labor Day weekend, when we, after we'd all graduated, we we're all in school and he died in a motorcycle accident. And, um, it was, yeah, it's kind of tough, you know, and he, but he was a songwriter and he, you know, he had, he had songs that he, at the, all the campouts when we were in high school and stuff, we'd ask him to play this one song called lesbian ex-girlfriend. It was, you know, it, it, it was a true story. He had a girlfriend of his that, you know, going to the other side afterwards. And he wrote a song about it. And it was hilarious. And we, I mean, and it was, so I'd always known him for that. And we'd always make him play like five times a night and we'd, everybody would sing along. And after he passed, you know, we sat in his room 
at his house and me and a couple other guys and we're just we're just going through his cds and we're just putting them in and listening to them and we um you kind of you, you got to know him a whole lot like a whole nother side of him through the music right through his writing and through you know i'd always loved music but i think that was the first time i really understood the power of of music and the power of songwriting too is just kind of like a window into you know, your thoughts and your feelings and, and, and your soul and the way you view the world and things that are going, you know, in the going on in your life. And we, uh, back in the days of burning CDs, we, uh, we burned a ton of those, you know, and handed them out to all of our friends and we, you know, listened to them forever. And it was just like, you got to know them all over again, you know? And so it was, it was really cool from that aspect. Um, kind of seeing the, I guess the power of songwriting and songs and the, uh, his, his closest, his best friends played uh, "Wish You Were Here." They played a couple songs, but "Wish You Were Here" by Pink Floyd at the at the funeral. And you know, when I got back to school, you know, that was the first song I learned. I like sat down, borrowed a buddy's guitar, and you know, you printed out the tabs, and I just played until I I learned that song all the way through. And you know, that was the first time I I kind of really started picking up guitar was after that, and just it was kind of the inspiration that carried it on. And and then you know, didn't know if I could write songs or not, but I just knew that you know. Playing guitar was cool. It'd probably get some uh, some some dates, you know, in college. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and, you know, and then uh, just having that experience where you just kind of realize like how 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 powerful that is, and how you know songwriting and music and and everything. It was really kind of what started me, I guess, down that path. When I look back at like, well, what what pushed me that way, and and that was definitely uh, I think the moment where you know my interest turned to that. Wow. So it was pretty pretty soon right after did you go get a guitar right after that yeah so uh i did i mean so that that year i redshirted and i had to have knee surgery so uh i got home from school in may i bought a guitar and then i you know i had knee surgery i wasn't allowed to walk for two months and all i did was just play guitar um, you know on the couch and in my bed for two months so so yeah it was kind of after my first year of school is when i bought my own guitar because all through school i just borrowed all my, my i had six or seven buddies in the dorms that had uh had guitars so i just used theirs every day or borrowed somebody's but then when i got home yeah i bought my own and and then just started learning stuff on my own oh so you had to you had to compete with the six other guys luckily luckily i was like the only one that could sing i didn't even know that going into college you know i, I uh I, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't, I was never in choir. I was in theater in high school. I played baseball and I was in theater, but I always skipped the musicals cause I couldn't sing. And, um, but at the campouts, I realized like, well, I can at least sing a little bit better than all the guys who can play guitar really well. So that was kind of how I added to, to a lot of our camp out jams and stuff. And, and, uh, and then I kind of started really to find my voice that first year of school. And I guess realizing that I can sing a little bit, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how good it was, but I knew it was just a little bit better than some of the other guys. And, and, uh, so I didn't get robbed, you know, I, I still, I still gave myself a fighting chance. <laughs> so you made up for it with the boys. That's crazy. So you had no clue <laughs> that you knew how to sing until then. I really didn't. And yeah, I mean, I skipped the musicals never was in choir, you know, just, and, and, you know, my mom was musical and played piano and stuff, but you know, none of us learned instruments growing up and just weren't, you know, wasn't a part of our life that we really explored. So it's kind of something I just started to discover my first year of college. That's interesting. So you were doing, you said you did theater. Was acting, like what did you want to do when you grew up? Was it acting, that kind of stuff? Um, No, I didn't, you know, then baseball was still the biggest on my mind. Like I knew, I knew it was good enough to go play college. I, and that was my focus is I wanted to go play college baseball. Um, I just enjoyed theater. I, you know, I enjoyed performing. I enjoyed, you know, being in front of crowds. I loved the relationships. I, I still, some of my closest friends in high school and even today I talk to, you know, almost every day uh, are, are some of my theater friends. And so, um, 
you know, it, it, it was, it was kind of a weird, uh, I guess, dynamic where I'm this, I was this jock, you know, and uh, kind of known as a jock, but I hung out with the theater people and, um, you know, luckily my high school wasn't too clicky, but they, but it, you know, it was just, I, I felt like the theater people, you know, they were so entertaining on the weekends and, uh, and, uh, you know, like hanging out, it was always like a monologue with, you know, and, and improv all the time, just hanging out with those type of people is just, they just break out into acting. And I mean, it was, uh, and, and just some of the most intelligent people too, you know, where, you know, jocks and, and a lot of the baseball guys, it was just about partying and all the other stuff on weekend, which, you know, wasn't as, you know, wasn't as interested in that, but I, I, I just loved, I loved, uh, everything about that. And, um, again, performing and just the relationships and being part of a cast, you know, that was, that was always really fun. But would you hide from the music if there was music in the play? Like you would not want any part no. of it? No. Well, I mean, really, the first show of the year they did as a musical, and mm -hmm. I just would never try out for that one. <laughs> so, right. and then all the other ones that I could, you know, I would, I would only, I'd really actually only get to try out for one play a year because then I had baseball season the, the spring semester. So I was really, I was really, I got, I got a shot at like one play, you know, um, and then I just was in the class for the rest of the time. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't think I was going to be an actor. I didn't think I was going to, you know, I never, never grew up thinking I'm going to be a musician never or an actor or a singer or any of that stuff. It was kind of like, I mean, I honestly thought I was going to go into the military, you know, um, for most of, most of my life. I thought I was going to play baseball and then probably do something like in the military is what I thought. Oh, but wow. Life, life changes. Yeah. How did the baseball team handle you being in theater and hanging out with all the theater kids? No, it was cool. I mean, they didn't care. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a thing. It was just, I don't, I don't think I had a lot of my friends from, from baseball that really hung out with any of them, you know, but the fact that I hung out with them wasn't, it wasn't, it was, I never caught any grief or anything for it. It was just, it was just, I preferred to hang out with them. I think more than, than the baseball guys, it wasn't like they looked at them like they were, you know, dorks or nerds or anything like that. It was just, uh, I just think I gravitated towards them more, you know? Yeah. Just, it was more stimulating, I guess, probably for you. Yeah. I mean, it really was. It really was. I mean, you know, there's some deep thinkers, you know, and, uh, yeah. and, and, I mean, and honestly, yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of them that went to New York and I, I have a buddy that, uh, he, he was in a short film that got nominated for an Oscar. He got to walk the red carpet wow. and everything. Yeah. And, um, and I know, you know, some of them were in on Broadway shows and, you know, some, some, uh, are still doing like, uh, makeup and, and that sort of stuff. I'm so a lot of talent, uh, a lot of talented friends. I just, they hung out with just smart, talented people. And I think I just kind of, I just loved being around them. So, but, um, but I mean, as far as, I mean, I loved baseball, you know, I, baseball was definitely like, that was my, that was more my passion, you know, and, and I, and I definitely excelled at it. That was really what, uh, like I, I was just focused on in my life and it was kind of like, I knew I was going to play college. Maybe, maybe more we'll see, but, but, uh, you know, I, I just enjoyed, I guess, really the, the, just the whole, the, the whole theater vibe. Well, we were talking about the music. Did you want to do a song real quick? Sure. Heck yeah. Grab that guitar. So, I mean, I'll just play the one that's on the radio right now. Um, the song is last call. And I guess the whole idea behind it was, um, you know, you, you hang out at bars, you hang out at dance halls and, and they'll, they'll call last call and last song is playing. And then people shuffle out. There's always people who kind of shuffle out in a group of the friends they came with. And then there's, you see some people pairing off, you see some people left behind and there's, you know, a lot of people are on their phones, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And right. a lot of people can relate to being in a, in a situation where, you know, you're probably not with somebody, but you're probably still not over them. You're not at a point where you can say, no, or turn them down yet. And, um, and so, 
you know, this is just the song is about realizing you're just the last call. And uh, but I'm going to say yes anyways. And uh, just the idea that that came behind it and then just got it, got it, uh, got a tune for it and a melody and just started writing. And I, I feel like it turned out pretty good. So this is last call. That was awesome. Thanks, man. Holy smokes. And that's the new single right now that's 
Yeah, that's the up one that's to out. 67, is it? I think I saw. Yeah, that's the one that's out right now. 67 climbing. So we're uh, hoping, you know, it's 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 one of those things where it's like you're, I'm so excited about the success it's had so far and, and the response it's getting. And then, you know, there's a side of you that's kind of like Kobe after he wins a game three of a finals where you're, he's like, he's still not smiling. Cause he's like, <laughs> the job's not done. Right. You know? yeah. And so you're just like, Man, I'm yeah, I'm 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 super grateful and excited, but I'm also like, man, we still got some work. Like, let's get this thing going, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, no, take I it as high it. as it can go. So, but yeah, it's been really fun experience. I mean, it's been out for three weeks, and um, and um, so I'm just uh, I'm enjoying it. That is good. How do we get it higher on the charts? Is it downloads? Like, do people go to Spotify? Search name. Yeah, I mean, and there there is a uh, there is a Texas Music Pickers chart on Spotify that if you uh, that they track uh, Texas artists and just Spotify spins. So every time you listen to it on Spotify, it's going to boost me up the chart on 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 the Texas Music Pickers. So um, yes, please check it out on Spotify. And then you know if you're in the Texas area and you listen to country radio, then you can call any radio station and uh, and request it. So yeah. Yeah, so we got to make sure to do that. That's so cool. And you're a singer-songwriter, so you write everything, right? Yeah, I write everything. Yeah, so far, you know, I'll probably down the road, Yeah, uh, everything I put out on both albums is all things that I've written, I've written by, by myself. And um, I just did my first co-write with a guy a couple months ago. And, you know, it's kind of a new experience, but it turned out great. Um, so, you know, probably going to do a, a bunch more co-writing out here now that I'm back in Texas and but uh, so far, everything that I put out and, and usually everything I sing is uh, it's going to be one of mine. What's this uh, co-write one? Is it one you're going to be doing or is this the other person's? Yeah, it's it's mine. It's it's one that uh, I had, you know, probably like 90 percent done. But I had, you know, it's been sitting and I thought, that, you know, the idea was great, but I just didn't know how I didn't know kind of what else to say. And you know, I needed something to kind of take me over, you know, the edge and and just some some something fresh idea and it's hard because you know if you go into a co-write with with somebody kind of like giving up your baby too you know it's, it's, a, it's real vulnerable you know when you give somebody your song and you're like oh man i hope they don't you know take this and have bad ideas you know and so uh <laughs> but i mean i met this guy named zach lindley and he's a stud like he's he's uh he he played he had a really good music career i mean he had songs on the top 100 billboard um you know, the charted and, and, um, met him at some open mics and some other places around, around here. And just listening to him sing, it's like, man, this guy, he sings so well, he plays so well. And then listen to the songs is like, man, this guy gets it. Right. So we decided to get together and I, and we didn't know what we were going to do when we first showed up. Um, I didn't even know I was going to bring this one up, you know, but he was like, well, what do you got? And I was like, I don't know. And I flipped through my phone, my voice memos. I was like, all right, I got this song. So we started playing it and we, we, we finished it like on that first session and it was just, everything kind of came together. So, um, wow. I feel like I have to play it now. Do I have to play? I have yeah, to play it I think you've got to, I understand what yeah. you're saying, how vulnerable it is when you have something not ready. I remember yeah. when I was doing comedy, we would, a couple of us would get together and we would kind of pitch premises to each other and see if the other person had any ideas for you. But right. telling them that joke that you don't have anywhere near completed, it's it's terrifying because the look, right. you know, everything is riding on and their their reaction, especially when they don't have the reaction you're wanting. Right. Oh, yes. Horrible. So I totally yeah. get what you're saying with that. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, you're a comedian. So by nature, you're a writer and, and you get ideas. And in your mind, you know, this can be something and you can almost see you know, start to finish what it should be. But sometimes you get to a point where you don't know how to, like the, the, the bridge is walking somebody else to kind of bring a, you know, like you yes. get as far as you can on the road and then like you need somebody else to kind of help carry you across that. And I'm sure it's the same, same way where you, you take this idea and you just kind of massage it and re 
package it and, and get it. So your delivery on a, on a joke is probably got to, it can be funny. It just, it has to be worded the right way. The nuance has to be there. The pause, the, the, the nonverbals when you're delivering it on in live, you know, all the stuff probably has to be in order and for, in order for it to work, but you know, it can work. You just need somebody to help you kind of like, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's interesting that it's kind of the same process with it. All right, let's play it. Let's hear this thing. Yeah, yeah, we haven't cut this one yet. And um, I actually played it at, uh, at my, my show last night. I let off with it. And this is called Guitar in My Hand. If you want 
dude, that's killer. Oh, thanks, man. That is good. Yeah, when, really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I had everything. I had the second, I had the first, second verse and the chorus, and I just didn't know kind of what to carry the song, you know, the rest of the way. And and then he came up with that, you know, the little feels like it needs to go up here, and it's like, you know, I can tell down, down, and you know, I'm just like, all right, yeah, I like that, and then just started bouncing ideas, and 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 it turned out we liked, and I, I love it. I love how it turned out. So man, yeah, that is good. Have you recorded it yet? Or is that something you're planning? I have not. No. Okay. Yeah. We haven't made it to the studio with that. I got, I've got, a, I've got a list of songs, you know, that are kind of lined up to, to get recorded. And I've got, you know, three or four that are already recorded that are lined up to, to come out. So, um, you know, no shortage of music right now. It's just, uh, trying to, trying to put it all out in, in the most effective way possible, you know, pushing songs, off this album. So the funny thing is, is I recorded this album in mm, November, 2019. We had it ready to go. Um, I was going to release it April, May of 2020 and the pandemic hit, you know, quarantine happened March, April. And it was kind of like, well, what do we do? You know, (laughs) because we, we'd planned to to push the songs and, and do all this and the world shut down. So whatever, I just released it anyways. It's like, well, I don't know how long this is going to take. And, you know, we might as well just be able to listen to music while we're sitting in our houses. Right. But, you know, didn't get to get out and promote it. Didn't get to, and it just, you know, honestly, it just flopped, uh, except for, you know, the people that I know. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm still trying to go back to that album. There's a lot of good songs on there. I want to, I want to get out before I start releasing new stuff. So we're a little backed up, but just, you know, releasing a, an album in a, in a pandemic. Now I've learned my lesson next pandemic. Oh, that's just, that's terrible timing. So I guess yeah. during the pandemic, you weren't able to promote it. I mean, is that what you right. attribute it to? Basically, you weren't able to yeah. get out and do anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, you couldn't play shows. I mean, all live music venue, every, all live music was done. You know, there's, there's nothing. So yeah, I couldn't get out and, and promote it. And then unless you already have a, a, like a big name, which I don't, uh, that, you know, radio promoters don't want to push a song to a, to a guy who's, you know, for a guy who's not, doesn't have anything lined up to play. Like, that's one of the first things they'll ask you when they want to push a song is like, well, are you playing shows? It's like, uh, all right, you gotta be, you gotta be playing and you gotta be, cause you gotta promote it as much as they do. I mean, it makes their life easier, you know, if you're out there make, making waves. So, um, you know, it was just yeah, a tough timing, but everybody, a lot of people had tough timing. It was a tough year for a lot of people on a lot of, a lot of things. So, um, but just trying to just trying to balance using those songs and, and getting them out and um, and then and then being able to drop the, the new stuff because now people people are thirsty man you got to put out music all the time in the pandemic like did you learn anything from how did you even how do you survive I guess with the music like do you start a YouTube channel do you how do you even right. do that do you know well yeah I think a lot of people did uh, you know they 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 would just do Facebook lives there's a lot of people doing Facebook live you know, shows and concerts and just kind of living off of tips. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, I don't know how they made it through, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough that I'd sold my business the previous year and I had, you know, I had savings to get me through, uh, the pandemic. So, you know, financially we were in a good spot, but I know a lot of people that they lost their livelihood, you know, and they couldn't do anything and just scratching and clawing and, it, it, it was tough, you know, it was just yeah. tough on people. And, and, uh, but I mean, we, 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 we made out okay just because we're living off of savings and stuff like that. But it was definitely, definitely a blessing when uh, everything started opening back up. Texas opened up a little bit sooner than, than most. So people kind of, they got, they got back into it. The one thing I did because I was bored is uh, I, I just flipped lawnmowers. I, I learned how to, 
Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's nothing to do. And so I just, I actually, I went to like a Goodwill or a DI and there's a lawnmower there. It looked brand new. I was like, what is the deal with this thing? It, you know, they only wanted 30 bucks for it. I mean, it looked like it was just on the, on the showroom floor. And so I, 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 I paid for it. I took it home on YouTube and I found out you just got to clean the carburetor. So you just take it off, squirt this, clean it up, put it back on, start it right up, sold it for a hundred bucks. I was like, huh. Whoa. And so, yeah. So I just, you get online like Facebook uh, marketplace or whatever, and everybody's getting rid of old lawnmowers. And so I, uh, I would buy a ton of lawnmowers and, and just sit there and fix them up and turn them around. And, you know, sometimes they need 15, 20, 30, $40 worth of parts. You just needed to clean it out and then, you know, put it back up for sale. It was kind of, you know, I mean, it wasn't really enough to like make a ton of money or living off. I mean, but there's some people that that's what they do full time, but I just kind of did it on the side. Just uh, keep my sanity, just being stuck in the house, you know, but uh, when people are like, did you learn a new skill during the pandemic? I'm like, yeah, I became a small engine mechanic. (laughs) That's crazy. Did you do that the whole time? Yeah, I mean, I did it for, yeah, pretty much the whole summer. I mean, uh, you know, I was in Idaho at the time. So, you know, there's a there's a window for, for lawnmower needs. And then once the snow hits, like nobody cares. So, but I, yeah, it was, you know, that whole March, April, May, I just started getting into it through the summer. And, uh, you know, I still have lawnmower parts all over the place. I think I scrapped them before I moved, but it was, uh, but it, you know, it was, it was fun. And it was just kind of like an interesting thing and kind of easy and way to make a little bit of extra cash, you know? Yeah, of all things to uh, to fall into, flipping lawnmowers. I don't think I've ever heard those words together. Yeah, I mean, you know, entrepreneurs will flip anything if they can, you know. But that, I just kind of stumbled on that one in a in a in a Goodwill where it was just like, what is this perfectly good lawn? You know, because they don't, you know, they don't know any better. Yeah. But then at, at the same thing, there's a lot of people that just have lawnmowers on the side of their house because, well, stop working. So they got another one. A lot of people don't don't fix stuff. But YouTube, I mean, you can learn how to be whatever you want on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. That is one nice thing is YouTube can teach you how to do anything pretty much. Is that what your business was before that you said you sold right before the pandemic? Was no. Sales? So, yeah. So I was, uh, I was in the pest control industry for, uh, 17 years and, and I guess I still, I still am. I, I, I still do consulting and, and some different things for other pest companies now, but, um, yeah, I did, I, through college, I did the door-to-door thing that, you know, anybody who's been around Utah or in the surrounding areas is probably familiar with all the door-knocking companies that recruit and everything. You make good money doing it. It's not for everybody, but if you can do it, it's college kids are making six figures in a summer doing it. And uh, yeah, there's, and, and I'm not exaggerating, um, but you know, a lot of kids are making 20 grand and uh, a lot of experienced guys are making 30, 40, 50, 60 grand, but there's some big hitters that are <laughs> pulling six figures, driving Range Rovers in Rexburg, Idaho oh my uh, because gosh. they're, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that either. So, um, but so I did that through school and I, so I served my a church mission in Moscow, Russia. And I, I came back and I, I have a degree at the university of Utah. I, I got a Russian studies degree. I thought I was going to be state department or, you know, some sort of intelligence, military intelligence, CIA, FBI. I have a lot of, uh, you know, mission buddies and friends that were in the FBI. I thought that's what I was going to do. And then finished playing baseball and sales. And I was, you know, I was making 80 to $100,000 in four months. And I didn't end up getting a real job. <laughs> you know, I never, I never applied yeah. for any of those things. And so, uh, so for four or five years, I just kept doing that. I would, I would sell and work all summer long, four or five months. And I kind of take the rest of the year off and, and, you know, my wife and I would travel. And, but then it got to a point where it's like, all right, I got to kind of, I can't be on the road. I did a lot of on the road. And so uh, I ended up starting a company in 2012, which is the same year that I, I dropped my first album, Crash Course. I was kind of doing music, recording, and, and, I, and I had recorded this album, and I dropped it. 
in September of 2012 and I, my company with a couple of business partners in November, 2012, I was naive enough to think I could do both, but, um, (laughs) you know, the business kind of took over and, you know, in the next six, seven years, it was just, I really didn't do a whole lot with music. Uh, as far as recording, you have experiences and you almost kind of, it's almost a journal and a detail of your life and, and, uh, and to write songs, the, you know, the business, it, it took over and, and, and the business started making money, but I just wasn't as happy. I just didn't love it. You know, I didn't, I didn't love the business. Um, and you know, it became some other things and there's some other stuff that, that went down, but it was also just, I just wasn't happy doing that. And we, we turned a point, we were actually making pretty decent money. And we're about to really, you know, kind of go through the roof and, and just be set within probably the next year. But I, I just gave it up. Like I sold it all and, um, wasn't really even a hundred percent sure what I was going to do. Knew that where I was, I wasn't happy. You know, I could either just there and be unhappy or I could do something about it. Uh, you know, I just decided to, to get out and then we would kind of figure something else out. And we talked about music. My wife is very supportive and I just kind of always felt like I'd never really given it a chance. I also wasn't really 100% confident in what I could do, you know, as a songwriter. I mean, you, you write songs and do things. You just, I thought like, oh, it's something I can do or I can sing. And, and But I didn't really see myself as like any different than most other singer-songwriters. But it took me a while to realize like, oh, like I have a different perspective and people gravitate towards the way I write and the, you know, and the way I sing things and, and that I had something to offer. And so, um, took some of that money, cut, went down to Texas for a week or two weeks and cut an album and, um, turned out so good. Uh, just recording it that, you know, came back and told my wife, like, I really want to go back to Texas and I really want to, I want to pursue music. She was like, okay. And I mean, to have a woman that would be able to, uh, <laughs> to just yeah. to give up, you know, all the security of building a business for six, seven years, you know, and you know, we'd been beans and rice for so long. And finally we're at a point where we're gonna like, we're turning the corner and like, it's not just like get by money, but it's actually gonna be like, we're gonna be comfortable money. Yeah. And then we go, ah, I'm not happy, you know? <laughs> and, and, and she's all really come on. <laughs> yeah. To her credit too. I mean, she, man, she, she could see this for a while that it like something was eating at me and, um, and just that I wasn't happy. And it was also, a lot of her faith in, in, I guess my ability and, and knowing like, Hey, I've, I've built a business. I can, I can build the business side in this music thing. And then I have the songs and I have the, and I have the ability and the talent to do that. I think we both, it took us a while to kind of both come around to that, to that understanding. And, but she's hundred percent supportive of it. And, and I mean, and to, and I honestly, I wouldn't even be here talking to you about the music if it wasn't, if, if I didn't have a wife that would be like, yeah, I believe in you. Let's do this. So, I mean, Super, super lucky to uh, to have her at my side. And today is actually our anniversary. So ha- happy anniversary, babe! Oh, and, uh, happy anniversary! <laughs> yeah, thirteen years. So wow, congratulations! But, that probably makes all the difference too. It's having her on your side and encouraging you to go back to the music. This owning the small business before. Are you using any of that into the music to help build that? Yeah, I mean, business principles are really going to be the same. You know, they're going to translate to probably everything, whatever it is that you do. And I, I learned a lot of good lessons. I learned some hard lessons. Um, and you know, all that's going to carry over and, uh, it's definitely, it's already helped. I mean, and one of the things too, one of my jobs was, was networking and recruiting and, 
all that in my, my old business. And that's really what the name of the game is here. And I feel like since we've been back in, we've only been here four months, you know, just hit it hard and, and um, really made some, some good friends out here, first of all, and then you know, also some good contacts. And, and I feel like networking is, is definitely a strength. And I, and I definitely owe that to, to a lot of my time uh, building the previous business. And then we, you know, we have some security financially while we're, while we're building it and definitely, uh, fortunate to, to do that. I think it's, it's one of the things that made it easier on her to make that decision is once we sold our shares of the business and got out, it's like, all right, we got a little bit of a safety net and, you know, we got an opportunity. We got some time to go like answer this question. And that's really, I think what we're doing is we're, there's a question that needs to be answered. I can't be on my seven, I'm 75 years old on my bed, you know, passing away going, man, I wish I would have. And I, you know, I had to answer this question for me and, and I have a best friend that, uh, that's my wife that's, uh, you know, support me on it. And, and I feel like, man, I, I can always go back and start another business, you know, pest control or business or whatever. It's always going to be there. I can start with another one when I'm 50 or 55 or 60, if I have to, you know, you, you, you get older, but you realize the older you get, the more time, like how much time you really have. It goes quicker, but you realize, oh, okay, like 30, you thought 30 was old, you know, when you're, when you're growing up. But then for us, like 30 so comes young. and goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's just another day and you dread the number, but then you're like, oh man, you know, I thought, I thought 30 was a big deal, but it's like, you're so young at 30 still, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I just felt like, Hey, it's just one of the things I learned. It's like, I, I can always go back and build that again. You know, I can always go back and, and start another pest business or whatever it is. I think we'll be okay. I've always been self-employed. I've never, never been anything but self-employed. And so, um, you know, music, I think, uh, I think I understand now really what my gifts what my gift is. I have something to offer. I have something to say. And that's probably one of the most important things. If you're a songwriter and a singer is if you have something to say, people are going to, they're going to identify with that authenticity and people gravitate towards that. Anybody who like consumes music and listens to music, you know, they want to, they really gravitate towards artists who are real and have real life experiences and write about those things because a lot of times they're feeling them too. And it's just not everybody has the way or has the ability to write that in a song or sing it, you know, in the same way, like people probably enjoy humor, but not everybody's going to be able to tell a joke the same way or write a joke the same way. So they gravitate towards people that can, you know, who can tell jokes that, that are funny and that, you know, can, or they're afraid of getting them in front of on stage, you know? And so they, they gravitate towards people that, that do that. And, you know, I think music is that way where you write about things and it's real to you because, and I mean, that's your life, but I think people, identify with that. And they're like, man, I went through the same thing. I mean, I've had people tell me like, Hey, I listened to this song and it helped me get through a hard time or, or, you know, and that's always the coolest, the coolest experiences is when people come up to you and say, Hey, I love this song because it did this, you know, for me, or, you know, I helped me understand this or, or I just love the way you wrote this line, you know, like there, you know, all those little things. It's like, you know, when people start to, I guess, get into your music like that, and then it's, it helps with people's emotions and getting through things and, and they identify with that. Like that's, it, that's so rewarding, you know, as, as somebody who puts out music and that uh, just makes you want to keep doing more, you know? Yeah. I bet that's the best compliment you can get from somebody. Yeah. That's cool that you have that effect. You can have that effect on people. I imagine that's nothing greater. I mean, other than, you know, getting a big fat check for it, for a song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that would be, yeah, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. I haven't had one of those happen yet, but, you know, it will, but, uh, it will. yeah, maybe, maybe someday, you know, I've had, I've had some people come and ask me, ask to buy a song from me, oh. you know, and I'm still, I'm, I'm still at the point where I'm like, 
I, I still want to see what I can do with it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, when someone does that, what, how much, how much does somebody offer to buy a song for? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many ways to skin that cat. I mean, you can, you can do an outright amount for it, you know, and there's different ways to get paid with publishing and with the songwriting credits and, um, there's mechanical rights for performing rights and, and all these different things. Oh. And so there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to monetize a song. Um, you know, sometimes like Willie Nelson sold crazy for like two or 300 bucks back in the days because he, he oh. needed to make rent, you oh. know, but yeah. Oh. So you see, but you know, so you could sell a song and sell the rights and the, and, and the copyright and, and a bunch of stuff just for like a flat amount, or, you know, you can, you can take a chance on it on the back end and, um, and say, well, you know, do this but I just, I want, you know, this much of the publishing or whatever, you know, so there's, you know, it, there's so many different ways to go about it that, uh, I don't, I couldn't tell you what the high dollar amount for, for a songwriter would get for like a really good song, just if it was just outright, um, you know, but it, the low, the low amount can go as low as you can, you know, as low as you want to go. But I mean, it, you know, it, I think a lot of it, I think more people are kind of going for the back end side because it's, it's, with with streaming now you know a lot of it is nobody's paying for albums you know nobody's paying for uh they're not buying records unless you're doing vinyls and stuff but you're not getting as much and every time somebody streams a song you get paid for it and so mm. you know really what a lot of musicians and artists are doing is they're they're building up they call it mailbox money you know where it's just every forever as long as anybody plays your song you're gonna get paid for it until even beyond the time of you dying like there you know people people make money every time it gets played and that's just kind of how the industry shifted so you know i think more more people are going to take less and just and keep as much of the back end money as as possible and to play that game of like well you know if somebody cuts this and makes it big and and they you know it's a it's a george Strait song or whoever and they play this and you know for the next 50 years on country radio like you know you'll keep getting paid for that type thing so you know uh, versus just like well give me a lump sum and we'll see if anybody listens to george Strait. you know it's, right. it's like <laughs> right you know if you do if you do end up selling a song are you can you ever play that song again or you you don't have any yeah like, right yeah i mean it? yeah you can play you know, you can play a song. I mean, it's just like, so I was playing that Hootie and the Blowfish song during the warm up. you yeah. know, and, you know, like I can go and cover that song, you know, wherever I want. You know, if I perform it, you know, um, and I, I can register myself, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish will get paid performing that song. Now, I mean, a lot of places they don't, they don't do that, but uh, like smaller venues and things, but I mean, most of like, big venues they're gonna they're gonna get paid for the performing rights and then and you know if somebody covers that song on stage like the artist will get paid for that so you can still you can play songs as much as you want it's just uh and really once a song is out anybody can cover it you just so you just need to have like all of your copyright stuff in place like you got to be registered with a performing rights group you know uh, uh, or pro performing rights organization and, and be able to get paid on it so um you know unless they have some sort of like a publishing uh clause of some sort where it's like they don't they don't want anybody to do it most i think most everything can can be covered and you just have to pay the people for it but there's some songs that are super expensive if you take like a you know taking care of business type song you know and, and you want to oh i want to use this song in my commercial well then you got to contact the publisher and they're gonna be like well if you want if you want to use a you know 10 second clip of that song you got to pay us 20 grand oh, you know so dang. yeah so sometimes sometimes so so you know you get a hit like that you can kind of command almost whatever people will pay and you know big big time hits like that are just i mean they make those guys money for forever 
um, because you know if it shows up in a movie, it, you know, think about uh, Creedence Clearwater's like that showed us that showed up in every war movie ever made since they put that song out. Yes, you know, true, yeah, it's like the quintessential war movie. Yeah, and and so or war song, and so you know, people are gonna go, hey, we want to put this song in our movie. I'm sure. They can just go, well, got to pay us this much if you want to use this song in the movie. You know, you know, you can you can you can get paid a lot of different ways, you know, just publishing and then also streaming. And I mean, all this all this different stuff. So, um, you know, really good songs. And you hear about one hit wonders like those guys get set for life if they write a, if they write a hit. Can you you were talking about the hoodie and the blow? Can you do that song? I'll do I'll do like the first verse and, and like the first chorus. There. OK. All right. Back in the day when I was learning a bunch of songs, this this was always one of those like just loved i loved that whole album the crack review album oh, so good start to finish was just money she sits alone by lamppost trying to find a thought that's escaped her mind she says dad's the one i love the most stops not far behind me in only tells me where she's been she's had too much to drink I said I don't care I just run my hands through her dark hair and pray to God you gotta help me fly away I said let her cry if the tears fall down and if it eases all their pain, let her go. Let her walk right out on me. And if the sun comes up tomorrow, let her be. Oh, let her be. Oh, my gosh, dude. You sound a lot like Hootie. Do you know off the top of your head 